I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen counselor or the cool class clanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your method of direct action. Who paternalistically believes he can set the timeable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mystical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than the outright rejection. Martin Luther King Jr., a letter from the Birmingham jail. This time around, I am back with one of our producers, y'all. Um, Chi, Chi Yan, and Chi is one of the most brilliant people I know personally. I've been fortunate to call him my friend, somebody that I've gotten to work with on the podcast, somebody who is also a PhD, smart, you know, the brother is doing a lot. And so y'all get the privilege of having one of my producers. And this was his idea, actually, um, to have this specific episode. I've been doing some work around writing letters to the church. How do we begin to tackle this issue as the body of Christ, but also how do we tackle it um, individually and collectively? And so I began to write letters, um, really, to try to address this issue. Um, And she... I have been thinking about this issue simultaneously. And so we decided to have this collaboration on here. So I will actually be interviewed and I'll be going back and forth with Chi. So it's going to be a very fluid process. And so please welcome Chi to the cradle. Hey, Chi. Hey, Grace. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm really flattered by, by what you said about me. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I, I guess I'm the the voice behind the voice. You uh, are the voice behind the voice. You and Jasmine, you guys are both yes. the voice behind the voice. Yeah, between you and Jasmine, you guys make a lot of this thing possible. You really do. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, most of the time, we just sit at home and doing the editing. Uh, today, I think it'll be a really interesting opportunity to also give you Grace uh, opportunity to sort of hear your thoughts. Uh, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Chi. I mean, today is really about really as the body of Christ, have we gotten it wrong? Right. Um, and so and talking about that and, and seeing where we move from here. So, Chi, I'm going to just hand it over to you here and we can go back and forth um, and see, you know, and see how this pans out. So, Grace, um, I think a while, a few weeks ago, uh, I was talking to you and Jasmine, and you mentioned that you're writing a letter to the church. And I was really intrigued. Uh, do you want to talk about, like, what was the impetus for this? Oh, God. First of all, I just want to say this. I, I'm going to say some things that is going to, you know, really offend, I think, people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to offend church people. It's going to offend um People, meaning, not offend in a sense of like in in, in a um, painful way, but I think it's going to, uh, you know, move us to a place of accessing our own hearts. And so, 
you know, for me, everything that I do in my life, I try to begin to think about what does God has to say about what's happening in our world? What does God has to say about our condition, our human condition? And so, Chi, when I began to write this letter, um, for me, this was personal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as somebody who grew up with three black brothers, who has a father, I personally have witnessed, right, police brutality. My my brother um, has someone who has been in the incarceration system. I, I have seen... Um, where the system has really played against him because of his blackness. I've seen police invaded our mm -hmm. home, um, you know, wrongly uh, because they could. And so for me, this is personal. For me, this is, is real. But also as a child of God, as somebody who is critically always thinking about the world, critically thinking about us as, as a people and, and us as a um a, a body of Christ and our responsibility in the world, you know, I felt really, I think out of pain, mm. out of pain, I, I felt like we as the body of Christ collectively as the Western church, particularly as the, as the white church um, has not responded um, to this mm. correctively, biblically, mm. and as well as um, socially, we just have not responded. And so this letter was to address them. Mm. It was almost reflective of MLK's letter when he was in the Birmingham jail, uh, because I was really inspired by his mm. letter. And I thought, this is my letter to the church. This is my letter to my white brothers and sisters. This is my letter to anybody who's not white, but still complacent about the death of black bodies in our nation. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a lot. Um... I think it's timely in the sort of the recent uprising and what's still happening right now in our cities. Mm, mm. I like your first line in your letter. You said um, you're quoting Gandhi saying that I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole thesis there. <laughs> that's a whole thesis. Okay. That's a, that's a whole thesis. Yes. I think, I think Gandhi's sentiment reflects where mm -hmm. we are as people, right? I think Gandhi's sentiment reflects where people are with 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 Christians, particularly believers. And I and I think I, I have to say this because Christ is the most radical, conventional, most talked about, most debated, most influential figure in history. He's been on Time magazine more than anybody else in history. Um, his movement on the earth, even for people who were not Christians, were impacted by his life and his philosophy and the way he lived his life. And so Gandhi's sentiment is true that Christ is a flawless, is, is God in person, right? Flawless in, in its entirety. But the people who say they follow him, oftentimes have not met the expectations of the philosophy of God. Not in the sense of, I don't want to generalize this too much. I don't want to say the body as in the world, as in the mm -hmm. global body. But I think as in the Western narrative, we've not honored the true, the true word of God. We've not honored the gospel. We've not honored the life of Jesus in the way that we were called to honor that. And so for me... We see Christ on this earth and he was radical to you. I'm telling people like the gospel is the most offensive thing out there. It is so offensive that it will challenge you no matter who you are. I don't care how liberal you think you are, how conservative, you, how righteous you think you are, how justice-based you think you are. The gospel offends you in either way. And so for me, we, even evidentially, historically, we know Christ's life right, was offensive to the government, offensive to the rich, to everybody who was in his preview, my mm. God. And, and, and she, I can go on down to the history, but I don't know if you want me to go there yet. But, you know, when I think about historically, mm -hmm. from the beginning in Genesis, we see God said, you know, this, that we were created, we were formed in the image of God, the Amago Day, you know, that we are, we are image bearers of God. And to be an image bearer of God, she, it's like 
God, the holy God, the beautiful God himself, eternal in his entirety, says you, I have been made in his image, that I am beautiful, that I'm wonderful, that even regardless of what I do, regardless of my sin, regardless of all of that, I have been made in the image of God. The narrative has to begin there. Hmm. The narrative has to begin regardless of your race, your color, your, your, your culture, your worldview. You were made in an image of God. And I think that centers us. That moves the, the historic conversations because if that's where we begin, then that changes the narrative. And throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to go into the worldview in a second. Throughout, you know, biblically, we saw the fall of man from Adam and Eve, right? We saw men who did not see their image as God. Like they didn't even see themselves as image barriers. So, so, so they thought they could create their own image. They could be their own God. Even that's a problem in itself, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's important to make because human beings since then have been trying to play God over each other. And so from that fall, we see even the Old Testament, till this day, we see in the Old Testament, a fight for power and all of those things really manifested in people trying to be gods over each other when that was never the commandment because we were all, again, created as the Amago Day. So people people who want to say the Bible is not justice, people actually, the reality is people don't mm. know their history. They, they don't know the word of God. The reality is even Christians, Christians don't know the word of God. Christians don't read the word of God. And so the reality is, we can we can't start our history without starting from the image barrier. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the the idea of Imago Dei to me is is such a beautiful and also poetic uh, way to put it. Mm-hmm. I think the counterpoint I find mm. challenging is that presumably mm-hmm. the broader body of church and many aspects of American church, American evangelicalism, will also claim that they believe that, right? Like, I think there's uh. many places where people will say, they will acknowledge the fact that, yes, we are all created uh, as we're created equal. And there's history to that concept itself that we probably get into today but mm-hmm. the idea that we all carry the image um but do, do you feel like there's a disconnection mm. between some of us hear that and we respond certain ways and some part of the culture uh also hear that but absolutely, they don't respond Chief. quite the way we expect them to respond absolutely and and i think it's important to always position arguments right always position these conversations because I said in my letter, part of my letter, I said, you know, this, the gospel, the Bible itself and, and, and the life of Christ, and even the apostles were all Easterners. They were mm. people from the East. They, the Bible was written fr- from, from those people, right? And so from that perspective, that's where the word of God comes from. And that's a very collective culture, right? It's not about the individual. It's about the we and mm. not the I, I. And so even though it was written from that, it wasn't written just to address the Eastern culture. It was written to address the West and anywhere else in the world. And so the Bible was written from that perspective. And so from that standpoint, oftentimes when the reason why I think there's too much disconnect is oftentimes we talk about the history, right? We even going back to the formation of putting the Bible from, from its original Greek form into English so that we could all read it, right? Like even, even that, even historically, the word of God was always, always moving in the East, moving um, in Asia, moving in Africa, even before it came to the West. And so it was never led, the movement of the gospel was not led by the West. It was led from that perspective. But oftentimes when we think about the gospel, it starts from me as an American, me as, as whatever country I am from the West, right? Like it begins from that narrative. It begins from me and my family, but the body of Christ does not begin from me and my family. It begins from us as a collective. And so I think 
you know, when we look at the history over time, the reason why we've seen the slavery, we've seen all these things is because mankind, again, she making the connection back to the falling of man. We see Adam and Eve. Mankind fell because they did not think they were the image barriers in the first place. So, so they thought, if I could control other people, I would have the power mm. of God. And so over time, we've tried to control each other. We've tried to be gods. This is why we've seen slavery and we've seen other things come into uh, flourishing because men have always been trying to be God instead of be image barriers of God, instead of seeing the equality. And so the church here right now, it's, gee, the reality is we are complacent. The reality is we are complacent. The reality is it's much more easier for me to go to church, do my church things, than for me to actually say, I'm going to suffer with you. Because suffering, suffering makes everything real, right? If I have to actually Mm -hmm. see my brother, it removes me from my comfortability, If I have to actually see my neighbor, it removes me from the place where I am, right? And so the reason why there's such a disconnect is because we've always begin the narrative from the West. It can't begin there. It has to begin from the East. It has to begin that Jesus Christ himself, even if you move it even even to a higher umbrella, thinking about God as eternal father, as the mighty God, we have to start Mm -hmm. from there. That these are his children, that we, I don't care where you are, what you believe, we are his children. Like you have to begin to see from that perspective. You have to begin to see that Jesus was an Easterner and that he was a collective, like he was God in person, but yet he believed in the collective body. That That's who he was. This is why he had 12 disciples. This is why Jesus Christ never walked by himself. Yeah, that's it's a very interesting dichotomy, your positioning here. Uh, and it's not something that I'm very familiar with, but maybe I want you to dig a little mm-hmm. bit deeper for us here. Uh, this idea of yeah, please. Uh, the collective versus what I'm mm. assuming when you refer to West, that's more of an individualistic idea. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, think absolutely. there's maybe another yeah. layer of exploitation that comes with the kind of uh, mm. empire building that's happening in the West. Not that I mean, not that absolutely. the West is exclusive in doing empire building. Oh no, everybody's doing it. So right. there's this mm-hmm. idea that maybe modern day we really feel like we're individuals, but we're not. I think it's so interesting, Chi, because right, I think even when I look at the narrative around liberalism and um, as well as, um, you know, Christian uh, or people who consider themselves more morally positioned, um, you know, on both sides, the Mm -hmm. far right and far left, everything is all about Mm -hmm. the me. Yeah, like, it's interesting because even, you know, on both sides of the aisle, I listen to the narrative and it's all about how I feel, who I am, my freedom. And once I have my freedom, yes, I fight for other people, but it's, it's everything is about the, it's a very relativistic mm-hmm. culture, which is like, you know, it's relative to me, right? It has to matter to me. And so in this, in the spam of things, we are still, all under that resting perspective, whether it is a liberal, whether your worldview might differ, no matter what part of the aisle you may be, it is still under that umbrella that we as a culture oftentimes think about the I before the we. Mm-hmm. And so for me, collectivism, when I think about collectiveness, collectiveness goes far beyond just like you know, oh my God, I care about your issue. I, 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 I hear you. I feel you. Collectiveness to me goes to the place that I am going to lay my life down for you. And really goes back to the narrative, the, the second commandment, and really has to be two things first, right? No matter where you are, God commands us as, as, as believers, right? I have to start from that perspective because that, that's my lens, that as a believer, I have to love God first. That's number one, because when I understand what it looks like to love God, right? He is the, He is himself the image. He is God, but then I'm the image barrier. I have to love him first. And then I have to then love my neighbor. And what does neighbor mean? She, she, my neighbor does not mean the lady next door. 
It does not mean just my person across from me. My neighbor means geographically. It means economically. It means class. It means race. It means all this construct that we have formed and created as human being over time. And so for me, when I think about my neighbor, right, it's not just um, the Lord commands us, right? Love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself, right? Like the first commandment for me as a believer, right, is to love God, right? Because he is holy. He is this flawless thing, right? Flawless God, the God of the universe. He's holy. But then out of that love, I am commanded to love my neighbor. And that simply is, I think it is the most difficult, more than even like sinning and all of this stuff, right? I think it is the most difficult thing that we are asked as believers, that we are asked as as people, just human beings is to love your neighbor because it's easy, Chi. Really, even people who are like super, like, oh, I am down for everybody. Like, it's easy for me to love my friend. It's easy for me to even even love my neighbor next door. It's easy for me to love the person across the street. It's very hard for me to love somebody I've never seen before mm-hmm. across the world. It's hard for me to love somebody that has offended me. It's hard for me to love somebody that I don't understand. It's hard for me to love somebody across a different race, culturally, economically, class-wise, right? There's all these things, all these isms and things that create that does not help us to really fulfill that commandment of love the neighbor. And so to be a collective means I have to really navigate through all those isms and all of my world view and all of my comfortability to be in a place where I lay down my life for another person. Right. I think that the, the thing I thought was really beautifully put uh, was the part where Jesus said that the way you treat the least of among you is how you <laughs> treat me. Mm. And it like ah, it's basically a wild card. Yeah. Right? It could be anybody, right? Like it, it there's like no specific position uh, or power that Absolutely. people are offer like special treatment. Like anyone should really actually have the same. And he's he's saying that well, mm. if you let the least in your society get treated like this, then you're not treating me right. Mm. I remember hearing yeah. an activist saying recently, uh, and I apologize for not remembering her name. Um, and she was saying that right. we all forget this idea that we are all born as social creatures. Like we're born with the knowledge that oh. we know that we're part of each other's lives. We see ourselves in other people. Like this is very yeah. like this imago day that we just naturally intuitively know. But we also born mm. in a culture that really socializes us to be individuals. And that creates this really possibly problematic uh, division in our own heads because part of us feel like, Absolutely. well, the pain for this other person is the pain to myself. But there's part of, part of me that says, well, it's me, it's me, it's me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I'm glad we're digging into the specifics and I, I really like to talk more about the particulars of what's happening. Um, and yeah. one of the questions I wrote down here, uh, and I think I had similar experiences in my, my other churches I used to go to where there are really well-intentioned people, uh, good-hearted people Absolutely. who would say that we are preaching the gospel. We need to focus on preaching the gospel. Uh. And at the same time, I also experienced, I think, a similar kind of sentiment, and you probably relate to as well, that there is this Mm. deafening silence of certain part of the church Uh that refuses to, in (laughs) in my case words, uh, to not not be a Uh, Mm nonconformist. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a big question mark in my head. Like, how, what do you think you can tell them, right? Like, what do you tell them? Yeah, I think I always have to start from because if if I'm gonna begin from that conversation, mm-hmm. Chi, I have to I have to use the same thing that they, they try to use wrongly, which is the word of God f- for for Christians. Because the reality is I can't say 
like you know just for example i think about the samaritan the samaritan um individual in the book of luke i believe um in the book of luke uh where it talks about the parable of mm-hmm. the good samaritan um and and how oftentimes you know he was on this journey right like so for example th- there was this poor man right who was on the roadside and um this man was going down from jerusalem mm-hmm. to jericho um and basically you know the priest had walked by saw the man right completely um devastated and beaten um and robbed on the side of the road uh the priest walked by and did not even stop mm-hmm. the priest okay walked by this man did not stop but then comes the samaritan individual the good samaritan who went down and bound up his wounds pouring oil and wine over him mm-hmm. how many of us are and i'm 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 saying this as a black woman but how many of us right meaning the white church are the priest who passed by who are willfully ignorant how many of us do not see the man by the road how many mm-hmm. of us don't stop to see the men bruised but yet think we still worship god like my question to that individual or to all to the church would be do you see the man mm-hmm. what did jesus christ say like do you see the woman the prostitute who was being um getting ready to be stoned like jesus sees her do you, oh man i'm mm-hmm. getting emotional like do you see her do you see the lame do you see the blind man like do you see the black man do you see george floyd on the floor do you see him it's not it's not just because he's black but do you see him do you see do you see the beauty of god in him mm. do you see that beauty because that's what jesus christ saw when he stopped right when he stopped for man when he stopped for the woman who was being stoned when he stopped for the blind when he stopped for the oppressed when he saw the disciples who were cast out when he saw so many of them do you see them because to not see them is not is is to not worship god hmm. and so for christians who don't see that see the blind man see the poor see the man who was beaten mm. by the roadside do not see george floyd i have to ask them which gospel are you reading which bible are you reading because when i look from genesis to revelation i see god chasing after his people broken rich poor all of it i see his heart for his people so i have to truly begin to ask you do you see god's people hmm. i i mean i have so many scriptures that i wrote down just in case for the believers who are out there like what scripture is she talking about well don't worry i'm a woman of scripture and so like when i look at proverbs 31 a through 9 it says speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves for the rights of those who are destitute speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and the needy jeremiah 22 3 verse 1 go down to the palace of king judea and proclaim this word there hear the word of the lord king of judea who sit, who sit on david's throne and then i'm going to jump to the verse 3 it says this is what the lord says do what is just and right rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed do no wrong or violence to the mm. foreigner the fatherless the widow do not shed innocent blood my god in his place psalm chapter 146 7 through 9 god refers to this that he will deal with the wicked the ones who oppress the poor god says in that scripture he would deal with the wicked so i have to begin to ask what wickedness do right. you have in your heart because you might not be directly 
attached to this. We saw this. We saw this in the book of Romans chapter five, when God said, when Paul writes this, he said, for your forefathers sinned, like Adam's sin is now, it has been passed on to Moses and passed on to us. Even though we were not in the garden tree, guess what? We are implicated for being directly connected Mm. to Adam. Because you are white and you live now in this time, in this moment, because you did not own slave, you are implicated because your forefathers Mm -hmm. did it. By automatically, just like we are because of Adam, the reality is we have to take a corporate responsibility here. It's not just because you did not change somebody. The fact that you were connected to that chain, you automatically have a role to play. So your silence makes me question, which God are you worshiping when he says here over and over again, over and over again, do right. Yeah, great. Yeah. But the oppressed. I don't know what else to say to you. I'm like over myself right now. (laughs) I mean, I hear that, like that, like, what do you see, right? That's sort of my question for a long time too. And I think especially this time of how we see our uh, leaders are willing to sacrifice people's lives for their economy in this time. And yeah. and also what's happening in the streets is, yeah, I mean, we got to ask like, what, what do you need to see to make you actually see? Like what, what evidence you need, right? Do you need videos? There is videos now. There, do you need right? We do you need testimonies? There has yeah. been testimonies. Do we need people to write books about it? There's books about it. And part of me really feels um, angry. You, I, maybe I'm more pessimistic than you. And I'm that's also, all right. I appreciate <laughs> I'm it. Also, I'm I also a little bit that. less orthodoxy uh, than you. And I think yeah. part of me feels like. There is some deep-rooted uh, denial and individual kind of uh, belief system that really prevents people from really seeing what these things are. That almost feel like you get this sort of... Uh, and feel free to disagree with me on this point too. I think I'm like basically going off yeah. what we're talking no, no, no. about and like thinking as we talk right now that we know that there is a core of the orthodoxy of Christianity that is about individual salvation. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about mm-hmm. how your faith is what between what's between you and God alone. Like it's not up to anybody mm-hmm. else. You have to take charge of it. You have to go to God yourself, all that, uh, I grew up listening to that too. Mm. But, and this is sort of the controversial part I might be pushing people's buttons here, is is there Uh also a collective version of that salvation, right? Like, is there there such a thing that we collectively can actually get to that salvation? And maybe that that is something that we need to collectively work towards, just you tell God that you've repented and you received Christ to be your Lord and Savior today individually. Mm-hmm. The, is, is that just good enough for you? Maybe. <laughs> it, like what, what is yeah. blinding people from looking beyond that? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think, right, I think everything stems from evil right the evil that exists in the world the evil that exists in our hearts the even though even though we believe in the idea of evil or not i mean it's it's hard not to right i mean that's a whole different conversation um but 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 let's say the wickedness that 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 invades our society and invades us as people and so for me i think it's important to also distinguish salvation and and sanctification um i think salvation is what I think is important to think about it is 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 what is what Christ has done for all of us, right? Like we all, all of us, including me myself, like we, like I'm mm-hmm. a three people, we have, we have all 
gotten a gift that none of us deserve. So collectively, right, Chi, we have that. But repentance, absolutely, like we see as well that there is a place where there is repentance as a collective, but but that moves not that moves just not uh, from salvation to sanctification. I think we have to understand that I have to someday stand before God as grace. I'm not going to stand before God as the whole body of Christ. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand before him for my life and for, and for how I treated the collective and how I lived in the collective. Absolutely. And for my salvation, but then God is going to move from my salvation because that's a gift of God. He's going to move to the mm-hmm. place of sanctification. Sanctification is like basically for people who are, this is like, I don't want to, you know, just to explain this word. It is the continuous transformation through um, the Holy Spirit. So it is the continuous transformation as a result of receiving um, salvation. So really in the book of James, right? And also people who are not who are listening in the book of James is this beautiful story. What James is addressing um Christians, he's addressing them because they've become really complacent. They've become complacent in the way they love people, in the way they uh, care for each other, the way they care for the oppressed. And so James is writing this letter to them. So this is after they've received Mm -hmm. their salvation. This is after each one of them has come to a place of like, I have received salvation and it's a free gift. Now James says, okay, now that you've received this gift, from Christ that you didn't have to work for, that your sin could not, that your sin could not pay for your blood. Jesus Christ could only pay for that. Now you have to actually live it out. So this is what the collective body really matters, not just the individual, the collective. So we as the body of Christ, now that we know that we have the blood, we have the atonement, right? Now collectively, we have to say, we have to live it out. This is why, Jesus Christ sent to the disciples, now go, go to the ends of the earth, go. And so for us, this is what we have to say as collectively, right? Are we going to abide by what James is saying? James is like, if you love Christ, do as he has done. And so the reality is there needs to be a level of repentance that needs to happen in sanctification as well. I think in the, I think I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it's both. Yeah, the part I'm gonna uh, delineate a little bit and dig a little bit deeper here is that when I imagining the kind of reconciliation process that I like to see in mm-hmm. where we are in like who I am and who I the in the people that I know, right? And I I'm fully mm-hmm. or I'm not fully aware, but I hope I'm more aware now of I as a a recent Asian immigrant who came to this country, who mm-hmm. went through what's considered a proper channel to to be a sort mm-hmm. of a, a a person that's recognized to be like who can be here, right? And at the same mm-hmm. time, that I benefit from a lot of things to do with the proximity to whiteness, right? Like I speak English in a certain we way, do, I right? learn certain kind of culture, uh-huh. I read certain books and watch certain movies, I get immersed in this pop culture so it can talk to people here and it's it's not just that i need to sort of see these are the individual choices i've made and how i can do things differently to use my privilege and my Uh power differently but also to understand the sort of collective responsibility of the asian american community too and if i think like that i'm there's a lot of things that happened way before I got here that has nothing to do with me. If I want to be individualistic, yep. I can just say that, right? I could say, I've only lived here for 10 years. What happened in the 50s? What happened in Rodney King? I, I don't care. That's not me. That's different Asian people. <laughs> but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's mm-hmm. the way we look at, how we look like that connected us together. That's the culture that connects us together. And when you talked about these ideas of repentance, salvation, and sanctification, mm-hmm. I think there is inherently a collective aspect to all these, um, all these transformations that needs to happen, right? Like it's a collective kind of salvation. It's a collective kind of sanctification. 
you know, it's, you know, the book of John is very clear on this, right? Like there's nothing that she, you know, none of us have to do, right? All I have to do is just come to him and receive that gift. Like, so that, that's, that's an, I I can't make you do that. Like I can't make you go receive Mm -hmm. a gift that has been given to you unless you go receive that gift, right? Like Christ's death is finished, but you, his resurrection happened, but you have to receive it. And so for people collectively, I can't, we can't say, well, let's all go together. Now I can see that in a sense of like scripturally, I can see that in a sense of like families, right? Being saved Mm -hmm. together, collectively coming to be saved. But I, you know, in some situations we've heard around the world, like whole villages coming to be saved, you know, um, together. Yeah, those are all manifestation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. God's power. But in a sense of like collectively, we are all going to just come on and walk up and receive. But even in that space, Chi, I have to still open my mouth mm-hmm. to confess as an individual. Right. So I can walk up. There's many people who are. I can say this, who are in the church who say I'm a Christian, but still have not gone through salvation. Sure. I think what I'm trying to point out, and we don't have to be right? this point more. What I'm trying to point out is that, yes, there is there's, there is an individual agency in that scenario. Absolutely. But you cannot overlook that this person probably grew up in a society that has Christian churches. Uh, they grew up in a place they grew up in conditions where they are able to receive the message. Absolutely. And there's all these collective conditions that made that possible. So it's not an entirely individual yeah, but, thing, right? Absolutely. But I think that's a different issue. I think that's a that's 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 their own presuppositions that has affected their theology. Because the theology of, of Christ is very clear, mm-hmm. right? And so the conditions around me, whether I grew up in a racist KKK family, whether I grew up in a quote, hella woke family who, you know, who was part of the MLK movement. And my uncle was, you know, uh, you know, Frederick Douglass or whatever your background may be. The reality is our cultural experiences, all of our worldview often, this is the danger, right? And this is where we have to begin to deconstruct this in the body of Christ. All of those isms affect our mm-hmm. theology. And Christ welcomes that, but it should never take away from the truth of God. Yes, the gospel applies to me as a black woman, as all of those things, absolutely. But it's not the first point of reference. The truth might always always be the truth. The truth is I'm made in the image of God, right. no matter I think, who I am, where I'm from, yeah, I right? I think we're basically hitting the exact same problem we had earlier, which is... You're totally right that it shouldn't. You're saying that it shouldn't. But it I think shouldn't. what I'm pointing out is that it does. And that's what troubles me, right? But what it does is that there are cultures where you could receive a kind of a gospel that actually don't really recognize Imago Dei. And that's sort of, at least that's my diagnosis of what's happening is that there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. No, no. I mean, we have seen, I'm saying we've mm-hmm. seen that in the West, Chi. And I think. I think that that's a, a clear reference, but I also again, I'm gonna put a, another beautiful um, aspect of this into into, into the aspect. I'm, I'm gonna put a pin in here that we've seen even doing going back to slave times. We've seen mm-hmm. abolitionists right come who are white mm-hmm. people who recognize the truth for what it was that we were all made in the image of God who worked to free Mm -hmm. slaves. Right. And so I think in that aspect of it, I think it's clear. I mean, I think you and I agree on this. It's clear that societal wise, our presuppositions, our control, our wickedness in the world as a people has influenced the way we look at the gospel, Mm -hmm. plain and simple period. Mm -hmm. No question about it. There's no debate. On that end, it goes far for it goes it goes far to the garden, the fall of man. Right, we saw it's very clear, but I think where also I have to begin to see is I have lots of white friends. I have all kinds of wife. I have all kinds mm-hmm. of friends in my life, 
but I've been privileged to have white friends who are believers, who recognize, who know the truth of God. Even right now, some of them who did not, who used to be very complacent, who have said, you know what? I see, I see my wrongs. I have done this all wrong. Mm. I have done this all wrong. What was I reading? But oftentimes, cheat it comes back to the root of him. It, it comes back to the root. A lot of them, it was fear, mm-hmm. it was pride, it was willful ignorance. It was, well, if I say the, the wrong thing, I'm going to be criminalized. If I, you know, one way or the other, it was the need yeah, for acceptance yeah. by a certain mm-hmm. group of people, right? So there's all these things that does not stop you from still seeing the truth. It should not, mm-hmm. but it does, mm-hmm. right? And so many of us have all those things in our lives. We have all of our 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 walls, our walls that stop us from recognizing truth when we see truth. Our families, our culture, all of our our gender, all of these things that stop us from truly seeing the truth of God. Right. Because if I had to really sit down, she, this is like why people I think sometimes are scared <laughs> to talk to me about this stuff. Because the reality is, if I have to sit down with a person and begin to deconstruct their thoughts they begin to realize, oh my God, I had all these layers mm-hmm. up. That was, if I truly just had to read one scripture to them, they would be like, okay. But when I begin to tackle the walls, my family, what I grew up with, and I know that that's, gee, that's, that's a difficult work that most mm-hmm. people are not mm-hmm. called to. It really is a difficult work as a black woman. Because especially for me, particularly as somebody who is in a lot of leadership spaces, mm-hmm. oftentimes I'm, I'm the tokenized black woman. I, I, I understand this way too well. But I have accepted. Ooh, I'm getting <laughs> emotional. I have accepted. I have accepted that in order for the kingdom of God mm-hmm. to come alive. I can't let my pain stop me there. I have to open the door for this difficult conversation with my mm-hmm. white brothers and sisters. I have to cheat because if I close the door, then it stops there, mm-hmm. it stops there. And so I have to, and man, when I've opened those doors, we've had, I've had some of the most healing conversations of my mm-hmm. life in this time. With my, with my friends and I've been able to talk about things with them that they did not, I had a friend who apologized mm. to me over and over again. You know, people who knew about my own brother's situation when things were happening, who just did not understand, but now could after, after the layers were addressed. And yes, it's difficult work, but it cannot, as for me, as, as somebody who's still part of the body, Who's part of who's just a human being, no matter who you are, I have to be willing to say, yes, I'm not your sound, I'm not your soundboard, I am not mm-hmm. your Google. Mm-hmm. But I have to be willing to let those difficult conversations happen. It has yeah. to happen, Chi. I can't mm-hmm. stop there. I can't. I can't. Then what is gonna happen with generations after me? Yeah, great, Grace. I think that's I so valuable, and I also just want to affirm, uh, like the stories you tell, and that's the reason I got on board with this podcast was I I really treasure, I value the stories uh, you tell, and the, mm. you help telling with your friends, and I think that is a really challenging work, and you you're really right that that is Oof. also a very crucial work, and it's a very crucial work to now to center the voices from the margins to sort of center the voices yeah. these stories that i think makes a lot of people uncomfortable 
And I think that's oh. that's a really much needed um, antidote to to wake people up. Hopefully, it is waking people up. And I and I, you know, I tell what time I am still a scientist, mm-hmm. right? I, I I was trained as one. I, um, I think in a very analytical way, I think, but I also have a very emotional mm-hmm. side of who I am. And, and so th- this is the reason why I am, I am, I am on the process of pursuing seminary mm-hmm. degree, right? Because I ask difficult questions, but I also, I have a passion to mm-hmm. educate people, educate people rightly, um, but also help us come to a place where we understand the truth for what the truth is regardless of, of all of these isms that we carry mm. as people. And so for me, I know not everybody's called to this difficult work, but we are all called to some form of it. Um, and we are all called to do it. And gee, to be, the reality is, man, I tell about time, like people see Grace, they're like, oh my God, she's so forgiving. She's so kind and so <laughs> sweet. And, you know, th- because I'm often that talking person, right. right? In those conversations, I'm often extending grace, but people don't understand. I grew up in the streets in Ghana, 12, 12. I, I, I have a very, very hardcore side mm. of who I am. And it's, it's, it's very intense. Um, only people who was, who, who've been around close enough to me, like my sister have seen some of that side of me. And it's very intense when, when I am deliberate and the way I want to hurt somebody, I can mm. hurt them. And it's, I can hurt them with my words. I can hurt them with my actions. But I have come to the place of where God has radically transformed my heart. Because I know the depths of who I am is this loving person. I, I know it because I... I know that... Not because I came to that place by myself. Because I have seen what my own wickedness, if I let it be, could be. But I know what my surrender also looks like under God. And so I tell people all the time, none of mm-hmm. us are perfect. None of us are holy thou. None of us were made righteous by ourselves. Christ made me righteous. And so for me, that is, that is the anchor for hope where I stand. That is where I know because I cannot, atone for my sins that I myself I am falling in so many ways and I'm broken in so many ways but because of his grace and love gee I can do things that only he allows me to do calls me to the place of being at the mm. feet of Christ and I have to recognize that because support them don't get it twisted you know I'm crazy when I need to be crazy but don't abuse it right but I also recognize that Christ calls me higher. Mm. He calls me higher. He calls me a higher place that, that is higher than me. He calls me because Christ is not just care for our emotional being. He, he cared for our physical. He cared for our emotional. He cared for everything that has to do with us holistically. Mm. It, it's not just about, okay, be a good person, you know, be spiritually fulfilled. No, Christ cared for the bleeding woman. He cared for us holistically. He healed her physically. He feed, he fed the individuals who were hungry. You know, um, he provided manna to the Israelites in the desert. Like he cares for our physical being. It's not just about the, this whole, like, okay, once you get saved, you know, we live in this right. bubble. No, it's radical. It's radical. He calls us to go forth. I mean, read the book of Amos. It, it's all about justice. I mean, read read it over and over again because it will mess you up. I mean, read James. It would mess you up. But more importantly, if anything, anything gets through your heart, always go back to the cross. And I think that's, that's what it is mm. for me, is I have to look up and not down. Because if I look down, Chi, the grace that the world would produce... It's not the grace that the world yeah, needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world is not ready for that grace. That grace is not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, the world is not ready. But the grace that looks up, the world needs that grace. The world needs that grace to go out and to love radically 
to live righteously by his power, to do justice right, rightfully, to speak where there is op- oppression, and, 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 but to speak where there is also wickedness and sinfulness. But not because I am their judge. It's because I have been called to just mm-hmm. love. And out of that love comes transformation. I think you actually touched on just a little bit earlier. You were saying, mm. um, and this is sort of my question, like what brings you hope right now, right <laughs> at this moment? Mm. Ooh. Wow. Yo, I'm getting emotional <laughs> over here because for me, this is yeah. very emotional um, because I mm. love hard. Um Man, gee, like, this might sound cliche, y'all. This might sound very no, 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 Christian. No. <laughs> but, but, but I'll say this. This is, this is very true. What gives me hope, Chi, is, mm-hmm. is Christ. Um, what gives me hope is that he even turned the most wickedest heart to good. What gives me hope is he saw even the wicked man and, and said he is good. What gives me hope is that he saw people who were unwanted mm. and said you are wanted. What gives me hope is that Jesus Christ saw me and said, Grace, you are beautiful. What gives me hope is Jesus Christ saw my friends who were white, Middle Eastern, whatever they may be, and say, you Mm. are beautiful. You are made in my image. And I am willing to experience pain. I'm going to experience rejection because he experienced all of it. Rejection, ridicule, all of it so that you can experience eternity and you can experience joy on this earth. That gives me hope. And also when I see my brothers and sisters white reached the, and 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 brown and yellow all all the beautiful colors reach across and say i see you i see you not just because you are a black woman i see you because you are made in the image of god i see you because your life matters to me i see you because your value on this earth is mm. needed that's what gives me hope and apart from that, she, I see, when I see the world, like I said, when I look down, mm. when I look down, it's easy for me to fall, but I have to mm. keep my eyes up. And allows me, it allows me to see people from a lens that I would otherwise not see them. And allows me to see the beauty in our brokenness, see the beauty in, the, in all of it, but also hold people accountable, hold people accountable you know, continue to, you know, legislate, continue to, uh, you know, require for policies that are going to change us. But the realities I've always said, if it doesn't, if we don't do both of them together, we will have a policy, but still have a Mm -hmm. hateful heart. We will have hateful hearts and still not have actions in place to deal with their actions. Does Mm -hmm. we, we need both. Does what's happening recently and also what's been happening i guess this year do do any of that give you hope you know i think we are in a very revolutionary mm-hmm. time i believe that 100% i i i believe that this moment is a moment that you know i i when i look at george ford i think god there's been so many cases we've right, seen so many right. videos of of death why mm-hmm. why him? Why this particular moment? Why this particular man? What about this moment makes this so revolutionary? And I believe it is it's, it's a collective of, 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 of deaths that we've seen. But I also believe this is God's voice saying the jar has to tip. The people of God have to come to a place of repentance. 
I believe this is God's moment of saying, mm. we will not move from this until you people act. Mm. And I believe we, we will not move from this moment until we act. I really do. And this is, this is far above justice. This is not even just about like this justice of now. I think God is calling us to a higher place of the brotherhood and the sisterhood more than just mm. an ally. He's calling us to a higher place of brotherhood, of sisterhood. He's calling us to a higher place of image barriers. He's calling us to a higher place where I'll be willing to go to war for you, Chi. Hmm. It's calling us to a higher place where I don't just see your color. And so for me, this moment, it's not only historic in its nature, in its true form, but it's historic in a very spiritual sense. Because I believe God is calling us to a higher place. And we will not leave here until we cry this out, until we fight this out. Hmm. And so in the fighting, in the messiness, in the lamentation, I see hope rising. Because I always say this, without tribulation, there is no victory. Hmm. Without struggle, there are no change. And oftentimes we want, we want change without struggle. And the reality is they go hand right. in hand. Even through mm-hmm. our history, we've seen it time and time again. I feel like mm. it's such an extraordinary time. Uh, it's, it is. It's also a quite of a, I think, perilous time because there are a lot of different yeah. voices. And some of these voices are so not helpful. Um, but I'm, I'm also so glad that like conversations that I sometimes never imagined would happen is happening with people that I didn't expect. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, let me tell you something. Thank God for social mm-hmm. media sometimes. I have seen some social media posts from friends and I thought to myself, oh my God. <laughs> right. No way. What? Did they mm-hmm. just post that? What? But I know that's what that's mm. what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is working in the hearts of people. Mm. Um, and it's a painful thing, I think. Mm-hmm. It's painful, Chi. Mm-hmm. It's a very painful thing. Yeah, I, I really deeply resonate with that. Like it's it's a painful time. It's it's painful that it takes this very long. Painful. It's painful that it takes this much uh pain, suffering for people to <laughs> to realize it, but I think we're also just, yeah. I'm glad that people are talking. Uh, and she really, I mean, I think this is why we need history. Mm-hmm. We need, mm-hmm. we need true history. There's not a time in history where pain has not been associated mm-hmm. with victory. We, this is our time to carry our cross. Yeah. Amen. It's mm-hmm. our time. It's our time. Yeah. For you, how like do you feel the hope? Do you feel it for yourself? Yeah, that's uh, I think I ask myself that every day um, because I truly mm. believe hope. Uh, I think the activist Marion Kaba said, I think she's quoting some other uh, person. Person that hope is a discipline. And I, I yeah. think more and more I believe that is that is really the, the real kind of hope. It's a discipline that you have to practice every day. It's not it's, it's not like a blind kind of optimism just says, Oh, I think it's gonna be okay. I'm just gonna like wait. And I think there's a real hope that really moves people to action, really moves your feet. Mm-hmm. That that's the real hope that I, I aspire to. So I think looking at where we are right now, I, yeah. I do feel hopeful. And I think in some respect, I think that's also a necessity for me to do that. Like, I, I don't think I can like survive Absolutely. if I don't feel hopeful. Absolutely. That's just a necessity. Yeah. It is. I think, and I think, you know, Chi, that, that's one thing I want to continue to say to people. You have a choice in this. Mm-hmm. To my white brothers and mm-hmm. sisters, you have a choice in this and you will be held accountable Mm -hmm. no matter who you are as a culture we will be held accountable Mm -hmm. as the body we are we are being held accountable 
what we do now, listen to me when I say this to you guys, what we do now in this exact moment, our choices in this exact moment will affect the rest of the future moving forward and the rest of the church moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so you have to begin to create and change the narrative for your sons and daughters who have to carry the cross after you. Mm. Leave them with something tangible to carry. Leave them with history that they can be proud of. Leave them with ideas that they Mm. can carry. Leave them with the word of God that is uncompromised, that is not messed over by your own presuppositions and your own ideas. Leave them with just the raw gospel. And let them carry their cross rightfully and justly. The cradle is a place where the Spirit of God lives in you and I. And it's not going to stop living until you choose to turn away. But it's in you. It's going to convict you gonna mess you up it's gonna challenge you it's gonna transform you so let it don't fight it don't fight it y'all so love you guys love you all thank you chi for being an amazing friend producer for being on here to fighting with me on here to for fighting together thank you so much y'all we love you guys and uh we hope this bless you